0: I want to ask you, if you will, to repeat after me this statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. And He will make your path straight. Now, I'd venture to say that most people in this room probably have heard that verse before. For some in this room, you may have memorized that and you're like, that's one of my key verses that I hold on to for life. I want you to know that verse, when we get it down and we get it into our heart, into our mind, into our soul, and we commit to say, I'm going to live by that, life really gets good. This is kind of a prescription verse, so to speak, of how to live life. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, don't just give them 50% or 25% or 75%. Give them 100% of who you are. I'm going to give them everything, all of my heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Too many people walk in this world and in this life saying, I'm going to do life by myself. I'm going to do it the way I want to do I'm going to do it the way my mom taught me, the grandma taught me, my dad taught me. And they don't dive in and understand What does the Lord want us to do? And many times we go down that path of doing it by ourselves, then we get things all messed up and and, uh, life doesn't go so well, so to speak. And all your ways submit to him. And we're just saying, Lord, you're in charge and he will make your path straight. That verse, when we get it down, becomes a driving force for life to say, I want to do that. And so today we begin this new series of messages And my hope is that as we go through this series of messages over the next five weeks, that we learn to trust the Lord more. Because no matter where we're at, whether we are at this beginning stage where I'm here at church today, I'm just kind of seeking, maybe trying to understand Jesus, I'm not sure where my belief is in Him, or whether you're new in your journey or faith, or whether you're maybe a babe in faith and you've been walking with Jesus for a few years, or whether you've been way down here and been walking with Him for a long time, every single one of us in this room have a little bit more where we can grow in our area of trust. And quite honestly, we'll be in that spot until the day we go to eternity, as long as we continue to pursue Him. And so we're going to learn together how do we trust in our weaknesses? How do we trust in our goodness? How do we trust when we have doubt? How do we trust when we deal with sin? How do we trust when we fail? Because all of us at times will fail. I love that the God has blessed us with some great other preachers in our church, and so just like last year that we did this, we're going to share in this sermon series with some other preachers that are right here within our church who are going to help bring this, this series of messages this summer as we together learn to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we begin to talk about weakness. Today, our Our text comes from the second letter that Paul had written to the church at Corinth. He had missionary travels and established the church in Corinth and had sent them a letter encouraged them how to live their faith, and he sends them a second one. The church at Corinth, they struggled with purity and they struggled with spiritual consistency. All the world's ways were influencing them while they... Had embraced the gospel, which means they said, "All right, we believe in Jesus, Paul. We believe in your message. We accept Jesus." Many continue to walk in, in the flesh, in in the carnal ways of living, and the church had developed that kind of carnal mindset. Doesn't sound much different than our culture today, does it? Many times we say, "Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel." We don't leave the world. We continue to walk in the world, continue to let the world influence and the world guide us. And Paul writes in this letter like, listen, if you are in Christ Jesus and you believe in the gospel and you do believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then then you've chosen a new life and this is how you shall now live and not live in the carnal or live in the flesh. And so this attitude and behavior of living in the flesh while still saying I believe in Jesus was influencing the church. And so Paul writes in this letter and says, listen, we got to get this thing straightened out here in our lives. So begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know what this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I should not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these suppressed surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, while seeking to instill trust and devotion to the Lord, Paul recounts an encounter, an experience he had some 14 years prior to writing this letter he offers few details and doesn't even know doesn't even acknowledge that he was actually the man that was involved in this glorious encounter. As I was studying this week, that kind of became new to me, like, oh, this is referring to Paul, that he had this experience where, where he meets kind of in paradise, an unspeakable glory. You've heard of people maybe who have died and came back to life and they say, Well, I saw the light, or they had this kind of special experience. They're like, Yeah, I got a chance to talk to the Lord. Some people maybe it was in a dream type experience. It's one of those kinds of things where Paul had this. Extra experience, and Paul, for surely, was changed through this experience. He continually dealt with the effects of that encounter. Though he's continually dealing with how did that affect me negatively or positively? Clearly, it shaped his life and his ministry, bringing him closer to the Lord with a renewed commitment. And so as he's going along, he's like wrestling with, I don't want pride to grow up because of this experience that I had. It presented a challenge for Paul because he encountered something that he said no one else has encountered. No individual has encountered. And such an encounter could potentially produce pride or arrogance in his heart and adversely affect who he was or what he was doing in the Lord. And though Paul learned in this great challenge, he teaches us one of the great paradoxes in a Christian life, and that is strength is found in weakness. Now that doesn't align with our world, does it? Our world would tell us to muscle up enough energy, muscle up enough strength, don't you dare be weak. But what we learn from today as we walk through this with Paul is that we are actually stronger, church, when we embrace the weakness that we go through. Such a statement doesn't align with the philosophies of today or the teachers of today, but in order for a believer to become strong in our faith, we must experience some great weakness. And you talk talking about weakness, you say, What are you talking about? I'm talking about trials, I'm talking about difficulties, I'm talking about challenges, things that stress us, things that overwhelm us, things that are hard, things that, that, that get underneath our skin, so to speak. Paul says, Listen, these kind of weaknesses, they're actually good for us. Let, let me break this down a little bit for you this morning. See, Paul sees a potential of vanity or pride in verses 7 and 8. As Paul continues to share about this miraculous counter, he reveals the struggle that often develops following such an encounter. I had this great experience with God, so great things are happening. Now, our struggles may be different, but Paul notices these struggles, and he says he deals with these struggles. He considers consider the, the, the temptation that could come along. Look at verse 7, the first part. He says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a, a thorn in my flesh. The Lord knew Paul would be tempted to become vain. He knew he'd be tempted to, be, to think that, look what I did or look what I've accomplished. And it doesn't necessarily imply that Paul was doing that or he was moving down that sinful path of pride because of this encounter, but the potential was there because he had this great experience with the Lord. And Satan could use that opportunity to grow, heart, to grow pride in Paul's heart so that he starts thinking, look what I've done. It would have been easy for him to focus more on that encounter than depending on the Lord and ministry. And pride is something that all of us deal with. Pride is something that all of us have to watch out for. Regardless of the position, regardless of what we do, whatever we're doing in life, we have to watch out for pride. We have to watch out for when we start saying, look what I did. Look how I've accomplished. Oh, I'm an engineer. I've done this. Oh, I'm a doctor. I've done this. Oh, I'm a teacher. I've done this. Or oh, I'm a mom or I dad. Or I'm a preacher and I've done this. We start saying I and we start relying upon me, myself, and I instead of relying upon the Lord. And so Paul's fighting against that so that that temptation doesn't battle up. Now, there's an affliction we see in the second part. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He's like, God gave me this this pain, this difficulty. There's been much debate to what that thorn is. And you can sit down and study all kinds of theologians and all of them have all these kinds of ideas. The truth is it really doesn't matter what the thorn is. One person I was reading this week said that the thorn was his wife. I'm sure some ladies would beg the dinner and say, no, the thorn is my husband. Who knows what the thorn is? But the thing is, it's really not important. The Lord knew he would be tempted to feel exalted because of his unusual encounter and it would, it would adversely affect his ministry. And so he has this, this pain or this thorn in the flesh was set in order to prevent him from becoming arrogant about his experience with the Lord. In other words, it was the way for him to stay humble. And look how Paul deals with this in a supplication in verse eight, where he prays three times. He said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Whatever that thorn was in the flesh, it had concern for Paul, and he prays, take it away from me. Now, when we just read the Scripture, we say, okay, well, he prayed three times and said, Lord, would you take this away from me? I think there's so much more to it than that. If you will, let me just indulge for a second and let the imagination run for a moment. Because you've probably been in a situation just as I've had where there's times when your prayers are like crying out prayers or your prayers are like angry prayers. I could imagine Paul going to prayer with the Lord one time, and the first time it's like, Lord, I've got this pain, and I'm not really enjoying the pain. I don't like the suffering. I don't like the difficulty. I don't like what's going on. And so, Lord, would you take it away? Lord, I'm just asking you, please take this away. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And the time goes on. We don't know what the time distance is. Maybe it was a couple of days. Maybe it was a few weeks. Maybe it was a few months. But he comes back and he prays again. Lord, I have talked to you about this pain before. And Lord, I don't know how much longer I can handle it. Lord, I've been dealing with this for a long time. And it's really stressing me out. I can't handle it anymore. Lord, you've got to take the pain away from me. I can't make it any further. I can imagine that kind of prayer. And who knows, the time goes on again. It doesn't tell us in the text. Maybe a few days, a few weeks, maybe a few months. And he comes back again and maybe more in a humbling with tears rolling down his eyes and crying, Lord, I can't handle this anymore. Lord, I have begged of you. I have come to you in prayer. Lord, I'm asking you, you've got to take this away. I can't handle it. No more. Take it away. Do away with it. I, can't, I don't want to deal with this thorn anymore. Because we don't know what the thorn is. That's more what was going on in Paul's life. It was a continual thing that was taking place. And he's like, God get this out of me. See, that thorn was provided to keep him humble. At this point in life, Paul would see no positive situation of the thorn. He's like, I don't want it. He was focused solely on the suffering, solely on the difficulty. You ever been there in life? Focused solely on I can't overcome this challenge in my marriage. I can't overcome the difficulty of the health challenge. I can't overcome the addiction. I can't overcome, Lord, this pain is inside of me and it just will not let go. And he's focusing on that. See, we can relate to Paul, we've been in that journey. Lord, I've asked you for healing. Lord, I've asked you for repair. Lord, I've asked that this weakness, this trial, this struggle will be gone. We understand that our troubles and our heartaches are varied, but they're real for us. Our life adversities are real. Whatever you're walking in, your your trial or your struggle might be, Lord, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills this week. And those are very real struggles for you because that's what you're walking in. Your trouble or your struggle might be, I have a child or I have children I'm trying to parent and they're not responding. And Lord, this is getting really difficult. Your trial or your struggle might be, I'm dealing with death. or I'm dealing with cancer. I'm dealing with some big old stuff. Whatever it is, you're walking in that trouble. You're walking in that difficulty. That's what Paul was going through. A trial, a difficulty, a struggle. And I haven't met a person yet that says, I enjoy pain and discomfort. I haven't met a person yet in my journey of life that says, yeah, bring me on some more pain. I love it. Have you? They're not out there. None of us are crying out, Lord, give me more troubles, give me more hardships, because we don't enjoy adversity. We focus on the pain, and then we give little thought or the benefit that it may bring. But Paul, as he's writing this letter, starts to turn the corner, starts to point the Corinthian church to say, look at." What can good can come out of it? See, I don't enjoy adversity in form, but the trials do produce spiritual growth when we go through difficulties. Drawing us closer to the Lord, they're actually benefit, beneficial to us in our walk with Jesus. And so Paul's mind in this writing, he starts to then show the church how his mind started to change and how he started to look at things differently. Verse of 9 and 10, as he sees the presence of victory. See, at the onset of the affliction, Paul says there's no benefit at all. He only wanted to remove, take it away. The Lord allowed the the thorn to continue, and would use this thorn to teach Paul much about his faith and essentially bringing him victory through his adversity. And we see the provision in verse 9, the first part, when he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, the Lord's response to Paul is very interesting. He doesn't speak of the nature of the thorn or the severity of the suffering. Jesus revealed that his grace is sufficient, that his strength was made perfect in weakness. He didn't even address it. He didn't say, well, Paul, I understand you've got this going on in life, and that's really challenging. Here's how to deal with it. He just said, my grace is sufficient, and my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. See, while that thorn would not be removed, the Lord provided the grace and the strength to carry him through. It's true today, church. I don't know what you're walking in today. I don't know what your thorn is, so to speak. I don't know what the weakness is. I don't know what the trial is, but I know the Scripture's true. I know His grace is sufficient and His strength will be made perfect in our weakness. See, while this verse has brought comfort and hope to many through the ages, it's also very challenging. We discover our Lord has a different perspective than we do. See, living in a body of flesh, we tend to focus on the aspects of the physical pain. I'm having a surgery. Oh, so and so sick. Oh, my marriage is doing this. Oh, this is going on. We focus on all those difficulties and we have pain. What we typically do is we tend to turn and focus on immediately the pain. Let's fix the pain. But the Lord views life from a different perspective. He views it from a spiritual perspective. He desires us to focus on His grace and strength. So when we walk in pain, we go, okay, I got a trial. I got a pain. I got a difficulty. God, I'm looking for your grace. God, I'm looking for your strength. I'm God, I'm looking for you to carry me through when I'm facing this adversity or this trial. I'll agree, such focus is hard to obtain. But that's what the Lord wants us to see. That's what Paul is encouraging. When you're weak, to seek His grace. His grace is always sufficient, regardless of the trial we must endure. No matter what the challenge is. You'll never face a trial that our Lord is unable to guide you through according to His grace and His strength. Paul's coming to that, that spot in life and he's bringing that to the Corinthian church. Going, look at, I had physical challenges, but here's how I dealt with them. And here's what I learned about my walk with Jesus. And his perspective is changing. Look at the second part of verse 9. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, I don't believe that attitude developed overnight. I don't think Paul met Jesus and then all of a sudden, boom, he had this attitude that Because I'm going through challenge, I'm going to just boast about Christ. I think it revealed a perspective on life that grew in him as he grew with his walk with Jesus. He had come to the place that he is willing to welcome adversity. Stop and think about that for a moment. He gets to a place in life, even rejoicing, so that he might experience the power of Christ. I'm going through this difficulty, it's okay. I'm good with it. God's going to show me through it. God's going to work with me in it. See, if suffering was the source of our strength and power through Christ, that he would have welcomed such difficulty with open arms. And that's what Paul was doing. He said, if no, suffering's okay. Such a perspective will never be developed on a mountaintop experience. See, there's been a lie that has been sent through Christianity for years that when you become a Christian, life's going to be great. Life's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be wonderful. Mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. That's a lie straight from hell. It's a lie from Satan. Many times when you become a Christian, sometimes life gets much more difficult. And you know, what I've noticed is I've been on a lot of mountains, but the ones I've been on, there's not much growing up there. Some rock, some snow. You know where things are beautiful? Down in the valley. It's where the water's running off. It's where things are green. It's where things are luscious. That's where things are growing. We grow in the valley. And so we're going through the hardship. We're going through the weakness. We're going through the trial. We're going through the struggle. Paul's perspective is like, okay, Lord, I'm going to grow with you in these hardships, and I want to grow. Why? He welcomed me. He said, you know what? If it takes me going through hardship to get close to Jesus, close to you, Lord, then bring it on. Oh, what a different perspective. I can trust you more. I'll grow more in you. Are we willing to be welcoming to those kind of trials, those kind of experience? We can rejoice in the valley knowing that we have the power of his grace, the power of his strength to carry us through. And then he, you really see a mindset change when He, in verse 10 where he starts addressing these kind of his pleasures, these hardships. Look at verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. He says, these are good things. I delight in them. Now, if you're looking at the Apostle Paul and you're just reading this letter me the first time, you look at that and what are you thinking? I know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. This guy's an idiot. I mean, that's what the normal person would read that text and go, you're telling me bring on the hardships? You like this? And then he says, I delight in weakness. In other words, he says, that's a pleasure. He says, that's my pleasure. You know the only place I ever hear that at? Chick-fil-A. That's it. Seriously, you ever try to get them to say something different? It's like a game to me. I'm like, how can I say, like, thank you or appreciate you? They can always respond with my pleasure. That's what Paul created that, and Chick-fil-A stole it from him. He says, my pleasure to have difficulties, my pleasure to have hardships, my pleasure to have weaknesses. Paul had even come to that place where it was a pleasure. Again, such a, uh, an attitude is so contrary to human nature. It's not the normal. Let's take a moment and just consider Paul's struggles. He says, he uses the word weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Weaknesses speak of the generally all kinds of suffering, whether it's moral or it's physical. He said, bring them on. My pleasure. I delight in that. Insults, they refer to the ridicule and insult and slander and rumors that were created and shared about him as he went about his three missionary journeys, preaching and teaching and sharing Jesus. He says, That's fine, that's my pleasure. Bring him on, that's okay, I can handle that. Hardships speak of the physical need, the hunger, the thirst, the lack of clothing, shelter. He's like, That's okay, that's my pleasure. I can sleep underneath a rock, I've to sleep under the rock, that's fine. My, my ship can be destroyed, that's fine. I can be tossed aside in the sea, that's fine. I can be bitten by a snake, that's okay. I'm, I'm good with all that stuff. Persecution deals with those verbal or physical attacks, abuse or injury, where people took them to the point of almost to death. He says, that's fine, you can take my body. I'm good with all that. He says, my pleasure to walk through that. These difficulties, these perplexi- or perplexities, these anxious moments are inescapable problems. He says, bring them on, I'm good with that. And I look at Paul and say, Paul, you are crazy. Let's just be real with the text for a moment. Because you can look at the text and we can read it and go, oh, that's all that's all cute. That's really nice. But when when real life happens, do we think like that? We don't, do we? When mom and dad announce divorce is coming, you think kids are going, that's great. When your husband walks in and says, I've been having an affair, and you say, oh, that's wonderful. I get to grow in Jesus. Or when your wife comes home and says, I went to the doctor today. I have cancer, and I only have three months to live. You think you're going, yeah, that's beautiful. No. we got to get real with the text sometimes. And it's a hard text to deal with. But Paul says, this is how you get close to Jesus when you walk through it. What do you do? You keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. You walk close to Christ Jesus. You grab on to Christ Jesus. You you go deeper into Bible study. You engage in more prayer. You grow closer to your church friends. You make sure you're not missing your small group. You make sure you're in worship. You're like, I'm going to draw close to Jesus. James says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Both James and Paul need to be locked up in a loony hospital. I don't say that jokingly. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the text and you're real with the text, we go, this stuff doesn't make sense. But it does when you follow Jesus Christ. It does when you submit to his leadership. See, this approach to difficulties of life will never be possible apart from a close, committed walk to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that we develop and exercise our spiritual muscles, so to speak, our quiet time, our scripture memorization, being involved in our church, uh, just practicing Bible reading, diving and getting to know Christ. We practice that continually. We work at that continually because we don't know when the next challenge, difficulty, trial, or weakness spot is going to come around the corner. Typically what happens though, something difficult comes and we get mad at God. We get angry at God. God, how could you allow my dad to die of a heart attack? Dad, how could you allow that car accident to happen? God, how can you allow this to happen? God, why? And many people have walked away from God and shake their fist at God and say, well, God allowed this to happen in my life, and they gave up on God. All along, it was an opportunity to grow closer if they grab onto God. Many times, that's what happens in our own walk with God. We go through hard times. We're like, how can you let me be going through this? I serve you, God. I worship you, God. I honor you, God. I praise you, God. I read the Bible, God. God, I'm doing everything I can to honor you, and you allow this difficulty in my life? Have an apostle Paul. And our mindset should be, he's allowing it, and now I have an opportunity to grow. Have a choice. I can run and be angry, or I can run to him and grow in Christ. That's where Paul facing the trials. He said, I'm not going to be consumed by the trial. I'm not going to let the trial take me to despair. That's not going to happen in my life. If we could use trials the same way, we would be strengthened in the Lord, and we'd be just like the Apostle Paul. We'd be able to walk through a trial and go, I don't, I don't exactly like it. No one, It doesn't say you have to like it, but I'm going to walk through this trial. You know what? God's grace is sufficient. He'll carry me through this challenge or this weakness. Here's the paradox. Verse 10 says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul lived life according to one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian life because that doesn't align with what this world teaches. He had come to the place he realized his weakness actually provided strength. When he allowed himself to be vulnerable and needy before the Lord, then he was able to receive strength and then Christ could provide the strength he needed. That had not been available because he tried to handle everything on his own. And that's the trouble we get into. We try to take care of a situation. I'll fix this. I'll do that. I'll make sure it gets fixed. And then everything will be great. And what happens is usually we struggle like we're in quicksand versus surrendering when I'm in a difficult time. You know the best place to be in life is when you cry out to God and say, God, I can't handle it anymore. That's a great spot. God, it's all in your hands. That's the perfect spot to be living in. God, I give up. can't fix it. That's when he says, my grace is sufficient. Let me carry it for you. Let me take care of you. Strength had come through weakness. See, it's, this is a difficult lesson to learn. It's even harder to put into practice. We want every situation to be handled. Fear, we have a fear of, of, being, of being weak. And Paul's saying, no, it's okay to be weak. Only when we come to that end of ourselves when we realize that and we say, I give up, that's when we see his strength. When we stop relying on ourselves and trust solely in Christ, that's when we're made strong. I don't know where you're at today on a journey. I'm not sure. Today, today, you may be on a mountaintop and go, man, things in my life are great, but tomorrow could be the valley. Today might be your valley, and maybe your valley, you don't know how long you're going to be in it, but I'm certain many are probably dealing with some struggles in this room today. You may have tried everything to bring resolution, but the burdens, the difficulties, the trials, the hardships, they remain, and you're like, when am I going to get through this? I want to encourage you, let go. I want to encourage you, surrender. Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I'm not in charge anymore. you are in charge. Lord, you take this off my hand. Allow his grace to be sufficient for you. Because when we're weak, that's when we become strong. That's what Paul discovered is, go ahead and embrace my weakness because in my weakness, Jesus will make me strong. Maybe, maybe what you need to do today is even surrender to Jesus. Maybe it's a surrendering of what you're dealing with, but maybe it's a surrendering of life. Maybe it's a surrendering and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. We're going to move to this time of communion, a time to a chance to respond. We have communion stations in the back of the room, and that's a response where you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. As you partake in communion, you say, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. As you partake, though, I want to encourage you to think about what is an area of surrender in your life. What do I need to let go of that, that I've been holding on to, and I need to give it over to them? You bring an offering, and our offerings, again, are at, at our stations out here. That, that's a surrender of your financial life. To say, Lord, I'm not going to worry about all the, all the money and all the stresses that come with, with all that. And, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you with my finances. That's an offering. Maybe today your area of surrender is you need to go to the cross. We have some people on our prayer team who will be at the cross. They're to, there to meet with you and pray with you, whatever's going on. But maybe that's the beginning where you say, today I surrender my faith. I put my faith in Jesus. And then the following Christian baptism, meeting the Lord. Today's a day to surrender, church. That's what Paul learned. He said, I surrender because His grace is sufficient. I'll be made strong.